Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word in which we can listen and hear what happened so long ago, uh, and yet hear it in such a way that is fresh, is life-giving, is even empowering uh, to those of us who believe. And God, I pray that hearing your word read, the story of you entering, uh, leaving heaven and, and coming to the earth and the incarnation would cause some to believe this morning. God, I pray that it would cause others who have believed to better rest on your promises, to wait expectantly for your return, to walk by faith in obedience to who you are and what you have said. And so, God, have your way in us. We ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, it was the great theologian Bernie uh, from the Incredibles movie who said, Coincidence? I think. <laughs> See, you know quotes like from the Incredibles more than you know your theologians, probably. Me too. This is what I first went to when I began thinking about coincidence. Coincidence? I think not. When Bernie Dash's teacher uh, had sat on a thumbtack, he said, there was not a thumbtack on my seat, then there was a thumbtack on my seat. Coincidence? I think not. Uh, he had been duped by Dash and his speed to be able to get a thumbtack on his teacher's seat. And what some might have thought was just a coincidence, Bernie was uh, convinced that it was not. Uh, a coincidence is defined as a remarkable concurrence of events or circumstances without apparent casual connection. That's what Bernie thought the tack on the seat was. And many people look out at certain situations in their life and think, oh, what a coincidence. What a coincidence. Isn't that neat? Isn't that awesome? What a coincidence. The opposite of coincidence, I would say, is providence. Providence describes God's protective care. The word providence comes from a, a Latin word that means to foresee and attend to. God's providence to be able to foresee what is going to happen and then to attend to certain situations, whether it be for protection or for provision. And so you've got coincidence on one side or providence on the other. Albert Einstein didn't believe in a personal God who concerns himself with the fates and actions of human beings, uh, which he described as being naive. Uh, and in an article that was written three years ago on Christmas Day in the New Yorker, Louis Menand wrote this about Albert Einstein and his lack of faith. It says, he, re 
regarded organized religion as a superstition. The Word of God, he says, is nothing more than the expression and product of human weakness. And he said the Hebrew Bible is a collection of honorable but still purely primitive legends. And he says this about coincidence. Coincidence is God's way of remaining anonymous. Coincidence is God's way of remaining anonymous. That was his thought when, in fact, I think according to God's word, the exact opposite is, is true. That these things that look like coincidences are actually not coincidences. They're, they're not connected by something that's uns, um, that have no mere connection. They are connected. And in fact, God goes a whole another step further. Rather than just two events or two things uh, that seem to have no connection actually looking connected, God goes a further step and He foresees what needs to be done and then He foretells what is to be done. Then He does it and people experience it. Why would God do that? The exact opposite of what Albert Einstein thought, that coincidence was for God to remain anonymous, God actually goes a step further and foretells things so that He won't be anonymous, so that you will know who He is, so that you will know He has all power and all might, so that you will believe in Him. He goes the extra mile to be able to foretell these things. So when you see certain things that happen, when you hear about the incarnation, you would say, like Bernie, coincidence? I think not. Uh, you would say providence. And rather than coincidence, you, you might say it's a God incidence of sort. And there's really two responses to those kinds of moments. Belief or unbelief. As you heard read from Luke chapter 1 and Matthew chapter 1, uh, one of those individuals who had the future foretold to them didn't believe, that being Zechariah, doubting that that would actually happen. How am I to know this? And then actually being disciplined for it and being silent. Unbelief on one hand. On the other side, you had belief. Two examples of belief. Both Mary and Joseph, in hearing God's foretelling through the angel Gabriel, actually believing what the angel said, what God was revealing to them in those moments, and walking in faithful obedience afterwards. There's really two responses for us as well. It's this simple. Either belief or unbelief. Either belief that leads to faithful obedience and waiting and expecting God to fulfill all the other promises He's foretold, or unbelief that leads to disobedience, that leads to an impatient um, going on and on and on of things. And so if you're taking notes this morning, I want you to note several 
aspects of the gospel that are foretold to us this morning. The first one being the incarnation. The incarnation being foretold. The incarnation is one aspect of the gospel. It's just one part of the gospel. And I've told you about this uh, a time before at least that uh, my kids at one point or another have asked, what's the most important part of the gospel? Is Jesus' death on the cross more important or his resurrection more important? or, Or is his birth more important? Which one's more important, Christmas or Easter? And in that moment, Uh, of theological clarity, you would say, yes, they're all important. If you take one of those away, the gospel is not the gospel. You're missing a huge aspect of it. And so it's good for us to focus on the death and the resurrection of Christ, Uh, to talk about Christ willingly giving up his life, um, shedding his own blood to make payment for, to pay the ransom, to, to take the wrath of God, to be our substitute on the cross. And it's right to talk about the resurrection, his victory over sin and death, often and always. But it's good for us to pause when we come to a spot in the Scriptures or when we have a time set aside to think about the other aspects of the gospel. And what we're going to do the next few weeks is to think about this aspect of the gospel and how it leads to the other aspects of the gospel. That is the incarnation. And the incarnation being a a fancy word for simply the manifestation of God in human form. The embodiment of the Son of God in the flesh. Jesus Christ, who is called Emmanuel, which means God with us. That's what the incarnation is. It's the, the entrance of God into humanity. Jesus being the God-man, the birth of Jesus Christ. And the incarnation is foretold. The incarnation is one of the clearest moments of God's providence because it was foretold. So many times and in so many places and in so many ways. Like I said a moment ago, we saw this in Zechariah's story. The angel Gabriel. And now if you wondered what Gabriel the angel sounded like. I don't know if you, but me, we've got our own Gabe. And he read Gabriel's words. Now, when you're reading this, you can kind of hear Gabe in the back of your mind you know what Gabriel's voice sounded like, at least a Gabriel's voice, probably not the Gabriel's voice. But you heard Gabriel, who is an angel, who the actual word angel in Greek means messenger, the messenger of God sent to God's people to bring um, God's word to them, came to Zechariah, an elderly a man and his wife who had no children and said, you're going to have a child. To which Zechariah, in unbelief, as shown by the discipline that came upon him later in his silence, in his unbelief said, 
how, how, is, how, am, how am I going to know that this is going to happen? Prove, prove it to me. I, I don't believe it to you. There, what are you talking about? He, rather than hearing the foretelling of the future uh, and believing it and trusting it, even with an angel before him, sounding probably even more mighty than our own Gabriel because very few of you hear his voice and fall to the ground in fear like Zechariah and Joseph and Mary did when they heard Gabriel's voice. Um, When he heard it, it was unbelief and a lack of obedience following. Even though God was foretelling what was going to happen, not only in his son's birth, John, but also in Jesus' birth to Mary and to Joseph. Later in Luke, in Luke chapter 1, verse 26 through 38, Gabriel comes to Mary, a young engaged woman, and told her that she had found favor or grace with the Lord And he told her that she would conceive a son and call him Jesus and that he would be great and would be called the Son of the Most High God. And rather than responding in unbelief, Mary responded in belief. And though their answers seem similar, that is Zechariah and Mary, Zechariah was asking, how am I going to know that this is true? I don't believe it, but how am I going to know that this is true? Mary's, on the other hand, was, I believe it. How are you going to do it? Because I'm still a virgin. I'm engaged to be married. I believe you, but I know biology. And I know that this is impossible. And yet the angel said, what's impossible with man is not impossible with God. Nothing will be, in verse 37, impossible with God. And Mary responds and says, I'm a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Belief. Zechariah's response to this foretelling, this, not a coincidence, but this providence of God was unbelief. Mary, on the other hand, was belief. And thankfully, so was Joseph's. In Matthew 1 through 18, you heard again, Gabriel came to Joseph and said, Do not fear. Uh, Do not fear specifically to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. That's what Jesus, the name, meant. But this wasn't the only foretelling of the Incarnation to Mary and to Joseph. Uh, Matthew records that all of this happened according to, to Joseph, and all that was happening in and around the incarnation happened, it says, um, this in Matthew 1.22, all this took place, why? To fulfill what the Lord had spoken. All of this is happening, God says, because I foretold that it would happen, and it's now coming to pass. I told you and promised that this would come about, and now I'm actually doing it in your midst. 
All of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken earlier by the prophet, that is, Isaiah. And this, then quoting Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Gabriel wasn't the only one to bring the message, uh, the foretelling message of the incarnation to um, God's servants. It happened hundreds of years before. Isaiah himself was one of those messengers who uh, had the privilege of foretelling what was to come hundreds of years into the future. And so it's clear from our text that we heard read this morning that the incarnation was foretold. But it's so much more than that. This is how God works. He foretells. He is the only one who can foretell these types of things. In fact, we find, I think, the earliest foretelling and and promise in Genesis, specifically in chapter 2. This one's actually kind of a scary one, a a warning, if you will. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 16, And the Lord commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of the tree of the garden. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day you eat of it, you shall surely die. A promise, a a prediction of the future, to which Adam and Eve was like, I don't know, you know, surely, did God really say that if I eat of this, I will actually die. Did God really say that? They didn't believe. Their response was like Zechariah's in unbelief, which led them to disobedience, rather than belief that led them to obedience and trust. This is what they, they doubted. The curse was foretold. That sin that brought all mankind down was Warn, uh, there was a warning that came before it. It was foretold that death would enter because of the sin of mankind. And it did when they ate. They surely did die. It, it's not just the curse. There was a promise in Genesis chapter 3 that was foretold. That the seed uh, of the woman would actually overcome the, the devil himself. There are these promises foretold. This is how God works. In fact, in uh, preaching through Romans, our Bible reading plan had us reading through Isaiah. And I'd been aware of a verse that I'm going to read for you in a moment in Isaiah, but I was shocked to see so many verses like it in the book of Romans, really specifically in the 40s. I'm in my 40s. In the Isaiah 40s, um, there are multiple mentions of God telling of the former things before they happened, and then they happened. And he did that for a reason, so that you might believe, not disbelieve, or say coincidence. Uh, multiple times, nine different times in nine different chapters in Isaiah 40s. But I want to read to you Isaiah 41 verse 26 first. 
Isaiah 41, 26 says, Who declared it from the beginning that we might know and beforehand that we might say he is right? Answer, God. Who told those things from the very beginning so that when they actually happened, we would say, he's right. He's God. He's good. Or Isaiah 48, verse 3 through 5. God says, the former things I declared of old, they went out from my mouth and I announced them. Then suddenly I did them and they came to pass. Why? Why would you do that, God? Why would you foretell all of these things and then do them? Because I know that you are obstinate and your neck is an iron sinew and your forehead brass. I declared them to you from of old. Before they came to pass, I announced them to you, lest you should say, my idol did them. My carved image and my metal image commanded them. Or in other words, what a neat coincidence. Wow. Or to give credit where credit isn't due is what they were doing. No, God is in the business of foretelling. He doesn't just let these things happen. He actually predicts that they would happen, foretells that they would happen, and then he does them so that when they happen, we might believe. Jesus did this. Jesus, who is God in the flesh, took up the same ministry that the Lord God himself had before the New Testament and the Old Testament, foretelling certain things that would come about. Jesus uh, foretold that one of his disciples would betray him. And... uh, and his followers wouldn't uh, believe him. And when Jesus predicted Judas's betrayal, foretell, foretold of Judas's betrayal, he said, I am telling you this now. This is John 13, 19. I'm telling you this now before it takes place that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Why does God, why does Jesus not just let things happen, though they do let some things happen, why does he go a whole extra step to foretell and put himself on record and and speak word to these things so that when they happen, you might believe, be convinced of? Jesus did this several different times. He, did, he, he predicted in the Gospels, several of the Gospels accord or, or, or record Jesus predicting his death and resurrection three times. Let's just look at Luke. Uh, Luke 9.21, Luke 9.43, and Luke 18.31. If you just want to jot those down, 9.21, 9.43, and 18.31. Um, both, or all three of those, record Jesus before he died and rose from the dead, predicting that he would die and rise from the dead. Why would he do such a thing? So that when it happened, 
they might believe. This is how Jesus acted in the same manner of his Father. The cross and the resurrection were foretold so that we might believe. And to use Graham's theological term this week, this is not a party trick. This is God's providence. This is God moving mightily in our midst, putting himself on record for our benefit so that when these things happened, we might believe, that they might believe, that we might believe. But not only the cross and the resurrection, we've got the incarnation, we've even got the life of Jesus is foretold. Another aspect of the gospel, the cross and the resurrection are foretold, but another aspect of the resurrection or aspect of the gospel is the return of Christ. The return of Christ is foretold. Now, we live on the other side of the cross and the resurrection from uh, those saints in the Old Testament. Um, we're, now, we're not waiting for God to come into the world for the first time, like the Old Testament saints waited and anticipated His coming, His first coming. We've read about His first coming. We have seen that it was foretold and saw that it actually came to pass. We've read about Jesus dying and rising from the dead, living on the earth for 40 days and then ascending into heaven. But before He did that, He predicted that He would ascend into heaven and return one day. And that's where we're sitting. We're sitting on this side of the cross uh, awaiting His return. And we have a couple different responses. Either we're going to believe what Jesus foretold would happen based on the fact that His Father foretold and they happened, and Jesus foretold and they happened. He's foretold His ascension and His return are we going to believe based on all of these other things? Because he's foretold and they happened, are we going to believe the other things he's foretold that they would happen as well? Or are we not going to believe? And maybe you say, well, sure, I'm going to believe. But does your, do you truly believe that leads you to a faithful obedience like Mary and Joseph to do the hard thing? To do the right thing? Or... Do you believe it in your mind? Yeah, Jesus is going to return one day, but live as if he's not. Worrying, fearful, living for today rather than than tomorrow. You see, the return of Christ was foretold. In John chapter 14, 1 through 7, listen to these words. Jesus says, it'll be helpful for us, even though they were recorded 2,000 years ago. They're alive and active for us today. Let not your hearts be troubled. Jesus says, believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, 
Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Does that sound familiar? Like Zechariah, how am I to know? I I don't believe you, Thomas says. How am I supposed to know this is true? Thomas says, doubting Thomas, unfortunately, whom he's been nicknamed. Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Another several verses later in John 14, 18, after predicting that he would go to prepare a place for them and come again to take us to be with himself, in John 14, 18, he promises, says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. He has foretold what he would do. And then a few verses later, then in John, same chapter, John 14, 28, Jesus says, You heard me say to you, I am going away and I will come to you. If you loved me, listen, if you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. You're catching it. You're catching it. This is how God works. And Jesus foretells of his ascension back to heaven and of his return to take all of those who have repented of their sins and believed in him to be with him forever in those many rooms that he is preparing even right now. And he told us that it would happen so that we might believe. So that we might believe. And if that wasn't enough, just flip to Acts chapter 1 later on this week in verses 9 through 11 when these same apostles are standing looking up into the sky with dropped jaws saying, what in the world? And to which angels come to them and said, did he not tell you? Did he not tell you? And guess what? He'll return in the same way. The apostles themselves had Jesus and angels, just like Zechariah and Mary and Joseph, foretelling about Jesus' return. We're still in that same period, waiting, awaiting these things. Are we going to wait in belief or live in unbelief? Are we going to respond like Mary and Joseph in belief that leads to faithful obedience? Or are we going to respond like Zechariah and Thomas and doubt and say, how am I to know? I can't know for sure. We can know for sure. God has put himself on record in the past and has made it good. We can trust when he puts himself on record for his return that he will make good on that promise. We can live radically different and radically obedient lives to Jesus. We can give up everything in this life and hold it loosely because He's going to return and take us to spend eternity with Him 
in the next life rather than spend eternity separated from him in hell. All of those who have repented and believed, he, he will take. So what's your response? What, if people were to look at the life that you're living right now, would they say that you're living a life of faith in God's promise to return? Would they say that you're believing in his promise to return one day to take you to be with him, to spend eternity with him based on your worry or based on how you spend your money or based on how you spend your time or based on what you talk about? Are you, would someone look at your life and say it's more characterized by unbelief? Not believing in God's promises. Not believing in God's foretelling of what is to come in the future. May we be persuaded this morning by the Word of God and by the many, many accounts of God foretelling and making good on His promises that we too would trust Him to make good on those promises, on every aspect of the gospel. Because listen, if He doesn't return... It's all for naught. Take away the incarnation, the gospel's missing something. Take away the cross, the gospel's missing something. Take away the resurrection and the empty tomb, the gospel's missing something. Take away the ascension, the gospel's missing something. Take away the return, and the gospel's missing something. He will make good on the return because he's foretold, and it's a part of the good news of great joy that should be for all people. Uh, this year, I, I was reading a good church history book, and in it, it had lots of good writings from church history and, and uh, good poems, and, and many of them were even about the incarnation. And, and this one I thought would be helpful for me to close with uh, this morning because it speaks in several places of um, the foretelling nature of the gospel and the, the incarnation. This was written by Marcus Aurelius Clemens Prudentius, if anyone's looking for names uh, in the future. He was born in northern Spain in 348 A.D., was a governor and magistrate there in Spain until towards the end of his life when he gave up all of that to seek the Lord first and foremost and write many poems and hymns and poetic writings. And uh, this is one entitled, Of the Father's Love Begotten. It says, Of the Father's love begotten, ere the worlds began to be. He is Alpha and Omega. He the source, the ending He. Of the things that are, that have been, and that future years shall see. Evermore and evermore. At his word, the worlds were framed. He commanded, and it was done. Heaven and earth and depths of ocean in their threefold order, one. All that grows beneath the shining of the moon and burning sun. Evermore and evermore. He is found in human fashion. Death and sorrow here to know. That the race of Adam's children doomed by law to endless woe may not henceforth die and perish in the dreadful gulf below. Evermore and evermore. 
O that birth forever blessed, when the virgin full of grace, by the Holy Ghost conceiving, bore the Savior of our race. And the babe, the world's redeemer, first revealed his sacred face. Evermore and evermore. Listen. This is he whom seers in old time chanted of old with one accord, whom the voices of the prophets promised in their faithful word. Now he shines the long expected. Let creation praise its Lord evermore and evermore. Let the heights of heaven adore him. Angel hosts his praises sing. Powers, dominions bow before Him and extol our God and King. Let no tongue on earth be silent. Every voice in concert ring. Evermore and evermore. Righteous judge of souls departed. Righteous King of them that live. On the Father's throne exalted. None in might with Thee may strive. Who at last in vengeance coming, sinners from thy face shalt drive evermore and evermore. Thee let old men, thee let young men, thee let boys in chorus sing. Matrons, virgins, little maidens with glad voices answering. Let their guileless songs re-echo and the heart its music bring evermore and evermore. Christ to thee with God the Father and O Holy Ghost to thee. Hymn and chant and high thanksgiving and unending praises be. Honor, glory, and dominion and eternal victory evermore and evermore. Let's pray. Father, may that be our response to seeing what had been foretold for so many years come to fruition in the birth, in the life, in the death, in the resurrection, in the ascension, and in the eventual return of Christ. May our response not be one of unbelief, thinking these things are just mere coincidence. May we say coincidence? I think not. Providence, more likely. God, we see your hand and your word all over history. And God, we pray that we would walk in faithful obedience rather than uh, disobedience because of our belief and faith and trust in you rather than our disbelief. I pray that you, by your Holy Spirit, have convinced someone, someone's here this morning that you alone are God. And that, Jesus, you are the way, the truth, and the life. And that no one comes to the Father except through you. And may they respond in repentance of sin 
and faith and trust in Jesus Christ, the only Savior. And God, I pray for those of us who have believed that our lives would be marked by faith and faithful obedience as we await your return. And evermore would say, come soon, Lord Jesus. We love you. We praise you. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.